3: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
4: Well, 2023 will be dominated by the NATO war against Russia, as indeed 2022 was. From February 25 until this day, there is no bigger story anywhere in the world, and it's shadow has loomed over all political, economic, social and cultural developments of the previous 12 months and that is not going to change. How do I know? Because the head of NATO, a tailor from Norway called Stontenberg, or something like that has just actually announced pronunciamento just before I came on the air that the Ukraine war is going to last a long time. That kind of renders otiose my poll for the evening, which was, will the Ukraine war be over this year? My vote would have been no in any case, although thousands of people have been voting, and it is a close-run thing, at least until the tailor from Norway spoke If NATO say it's going to be a long war, that means it is, because it is NATO that has made the war in the first place. Not in the last 10 months, that's absurd, only a fool now clings to that canard. But in the last 8 years, perhaps in the last 14 years, NATO has been determined to use Ukraine as a cat's paw against Russia. And that cat's paws claws turned toxic and it was inevitable, ineluctable, that Russia would intervene. As NATO may well have wanted them to do, that is a distinct possibility. What they cannot have wanted was for the inventories of the NATO powers to be empty on New Year's Day for that is what they are it is abundantly clear now that Russia could march all the way to Berlin all the way to Paris and NATO could do nothing about it except fire nuclear weapons which would be repaid in kind and then the end of the world would be upon us But short of nuclear catastrophe, the NATO armies have nothing left to fire. One by one, the American inventory, the German inventory, the British inventory has steadily emptied. But the Russian inventory has not. The Russian military industrial complex has already established in the last 10 months that it is infinitely superior to the Western one. And of course, armies don't just march on their stomach. They don't march at all, unless they have the logistics and the weapons to fire. So in that regard, it's one nil to Russia in this NATO-Russia conflict. In fact, it's several more goals to the good for Russia than that, which I shall now adumbrate. But before leaving the issue of logistics, russia is now on a full war footing whatever they say they don't announce uh, that there's going to be total mobilization but it's my belief that in 2023 there will be increasingly total mobilization Uh, the oligarchs that were still at large and still at their anti-patriotic games are now actually beginning to be cracked down upon where they're not falling from tall windows in high buildings. Uh, The oligarchs are being cracked down upon because this has become a great patriotic war for Russia. The Russian people are fully behind their government, not 100% of course, even our government in 1940 and 41, had a fifth column of 10 or 20%. Unfortunately for us, most of ours were in the palace, in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, and in the upper reaches of the British establishment. But Russia has about 20% of its population in a fifth column also, although, helpfully for Russia, many of those have now fled abroad. But the motherland, as was the note struck by Putin in his address yesterday for the new year is what the Russians are now fighting for and as the world ought to know when the Russians are fighting for their motherland they cannot be defeated at least not by a ragtag and bobtail coalition of the weird and the wonderful. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, let alone the Netherlands, but the idea that the Netherlands is going to fight Russia is, I promise you, entirely fanciful. It is entirely fanciful that the Spanish or the Portuguese or the Czechs or the Slovaks or the Romanians or the Bulgarians or many others that I could mention are going to fight Russia is entirely fanciful. This NATO war, even if you put A Norwegian tailor at the top of it is an American and British war against Russia and Russia has been here before 101 years ago the British and American Armed Forces in their hundreds of thousands invaded Russia to try and regime change the new Bolshevik government there the Soviet Union was proclaimed exactly 100 years ago this year it's no longer the soviet union putin is no lenin his government are no bolsheviks and there are good and bad sides to all of that but as the red army proved in 1943 44 and 45 it is unbeatable when fighting for its motherland, which is now what it is doing. And therefore the war can only end one way. It will not end in my view this year, but it can only end in a complete Russian victory. And every day that goes by means that the terms of that victory get harder to bear. For the coup regime in Kiev and its international patrons. Let me sketch as I've done before, but my ideas are now clearer than before. Russia will take all of the east of the Ukraine, all of the south of the Ukraine, and will link up with Transnistria, liberating it from its limbo, from its purgatory of neither being one thing nor the other, being Russian, but not Moldovan, being not Moldovan and not Romanian either. Transnistria and the south of Ukraine will be one entity, along with all of the east of Ukraine, which will all become part of Russia, leaving a rump and landlocked western Ukrainian state increasingly prey as Medvedev, the new sage of the Russian government who knew I never fancied him at all before but he's one of the few who are publicly laying out what is something approaching a vision for not just Russia but his anticipation of what's going to happen to the rest of us. The Western Ukrainian rump landlocked state will be increasingly prey says Medvedev to and Polish depredations, both of whom have their eyes on ancient lands of theirs that only thanks to the aforementioned Bolsheviks were ever in Ukraine in the first place, only thanks to the Red Army were only ever in Ukraine in the first place. So that Western Ukrainian rump like Kosovo will be a permanent cross to bear for western taxpayers and because those western taxpayers are going to be forced to continue the self-harm, the harikiri, the economic suicide of their own economies in the name of fighting Russia, the taxpayer that's shouldering that cross will be increasingly unable to do so. So that Western Ukraine Ukrainian rump will become an armed camp just like Kosovo. It will be activated from time to time just like Kosovo is being activated right now against Serbia and against its big brother Russia and the stage is set for a long war. It will not perhaps be an all singing all dancing war and all encompassing war of attrition At least not once the south and the whole of the east has been liberated from the government in Kiev. But it will be a long war because NATO will move in to that rump state as they have moved into Kosovo and it will be transformed into an armed camp. Millions of Ukrainians will be on the move in other directions, just like the millions of others that have already done so and like the huge numbers of Kosovans who are to be found in any part of Western Europe I shall I'll spare their blushes by adumbrating where it is that they can usually be found now Medvedev's vision was that this will place increasing stress and strain on the European Union and I suspect that he may be right about that we already have, perhaps already have always had a two-speed Europe, Uh, Franco, German, and in the past, Anglo, core of the EU with a lot of satellite labor exporting countries around it, net beneficiaries of a central treasury based in the German uh, banking houses in the great chancery of Berlin. But that chancery is not what it was and neither is its treasury and so the appetite of the now franco german core of the european union to continue carrying everyone else is considerably diminished and may disappear altogether depending on what happens in germany i have spent a lot of time talking to you about developments in germany And I intend to do so even more in this coming year because for me what happens in Germany will determine what happens in all of Europe. In Britain we are in the SH-1T. We have had more prime ministers, chancellors of the exchequer, home secretaries and foreign secretaries than even I, a political junkie, could possibly remember without an autocue delivering it extempore to you down this camera. Our political class is shot through. You could measure it by the knighthood that was given this very day to somebody called Chris Bryant. You can search him on the internet. You'll find him in his underpants on uh, some gay dating agency. You'll find them uh, in the list of apologia given for offences committed against parliamentary protocol, defaming people and having to apologise for it. You'll find them in lots of murky corners, Sir Chris Bryant. But never mind. Arise, Sir Chris. You're now a Knight of the Realm, which does nothing but tell us how cheap is now the Realm. How cheap is the realm of the United Kingdom? Well, you can measure that by the fact that we are now apparently forced to call somebody called Camilla our queen. Although she isn't the queen, although she is in fact the queen consort, whatever that means, probably means that she consorted with the man that is now the king behind his wife's back, for many years and played a considerable role in driving the actual queen of hearts, Lady Diana, completely mad. It was Camilla what done it. She drove her completely mad and you could say, therefore, contributed to her unfortunate demise in a tunnel in Paris. This adulteress was herself married and the mother of several children during all of those years that she carried out her sordid affair with the man who is now the king. He wanted to be her Tampax. Other brands are available, but you ought to know that it is a sanitary uh, precaution that women of a certain age insert into themselves when menstruating. He was caught on tape describing how he wanted to be Camilla's that's how cheap is the realm. But these are merely the fripperies of the realm. The real realm is in Whitehall and in Westminster, and that realm has never looked more threadbare. I'm going to predict to you that the British government will collapse in the course of 2023, and that we will have a general election and that a block of wood called Sir Keir Starmer already tried and tested for roadworthiness by NATO, by the EU, by the United States, and the ruling elite, and found to be entirely trustworthy. He is their pick. They cannot accept this Johnny come lately, Rashid Sunuk as their prime minister because Rashid has no political strength, neither in his own party in parliament. And let me tell you, his current rating in the public opinion polls in the United Kingdom. Rashid Sanouk today commands the support, loyalty and voting intention of just 19% of the British people. I warned the Tories when they got rid of Boris Johnson. He was the only man that could have saved their bacon. Thank God they got rid of him. But don't think that Keith Starmer is going to make any difference to you. Our economy is in a nosedive, the bottom of which cannot yet be viewed. The British economy is almost in free form. And it isn't going to improve. Our workers are on the cobbles demanding that they must minimise the wage cut that their employers are currently offering them. That can only grow. And the anger can only grow. When the billions that could have been spent on our own workforce on our own nurses, on our own railway workers, on our own labor are handed over to a cross-dressing pornography actor called Vladimir Zelensky. The rest of the public has not yet caught up with this diminutive dwarfish figure. They do not yet know that he has made off with their prize. But in the course of 2023, they're going to find out good and proper. And they'll probably find out first here on the mother of all talk shows.
5: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze,
3: The 1897 edition of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells Read by George Galloway Available only on Patreon
4: The cylinder was artificial, hollow, with an end that screwed out Something within the cylinder was unscrewing the top. Good heavens, said Ogilvy. There's a man in it, man in it, half roasted to death, trying to escape. At once, with a quick mental leap, he linked the thing with the flash on Mars. The thought of the confined creature was so dreadful to him that he forgot the heat and went forward to the cylinder to help turn. But luckily, the dull radiation arrested him before he could burn his hands on the still glowing metal.
3: listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway.
4: Well, you can listen to The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, narrated by me on my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. A big hello to all of my supporters on Patreon. You've been with me through the darkest days and I will never forget you and I will constantly replenish the content that is coming your way I'm thinking uh, seven pillars of wisdom once we've finished with the war of the worlds our podcast by the way is doing stunningly well number one in Qatar this day New Year's Day number five in Pakistan Well, there's a very great deal of competition, but more on that later. I said earlier, and I said it advisedly, in 2022, a lot of the things we thought of as conspiracy theories turned out to be conspiracy facts. Now, I myself have been unkind to some people as conspiracy theorists, and I'm still unkind to some that I regard as conspiracy theorists. But as Groucho Marx said, when the facts change, so do my opinions. And my opinions on several things in 2022 began to change markedly. One thing that has not yet changed is my attitude to 9-11. But I'm more ready now, now that I know for sure that the CIA murdered President John F. Kennedy, now that I know for sure that both the CIA and the FBI were involved in the murder of Malcolm X, now that I strongly suspect that we were sold a pup by Pfizer and other pharmaceutical companies when they told us of the efficacy of the vaccine that we were paying hundreds of billions of pounds for. Now that I can see that wearing a mask on your face was utterly pointless, as is proved every day in China, where everybody wears a mask and everybody is triple vaccinated, but is going down in huge numbers with COVID. Now that I know that many of the things, that we have been told were untrue, I'm ready to listen to my next guest with unusual attention, because he is from a lawyer's committee. In fact, he's the litigation director of the Lawyer's Committee for 9-11 Truth. And the peg for this discussion is that they are in court in the United States very, very soon. He's Mick Harrison, and I'm grateful that he has joined us on New Year's Day. Happy New Year, Mick. Is it going to be a good new year for the litigation? Tell us what you think is going to happen.
6: Well, happy New Year, George, and I think it's going to be uh, a constructive, positive, uh, progress-oriented 2023. The, the key, At the moment, maybe the decision we're waiting from waiting for from the U.S. Supreme Court. We have um, a status conference with the it's not I don't have a status conference, but the judges are meeting on January 6th to decide whether they're going to take our case. And our case is about some fundamental constitutional rights that have come up, some rights issues that have come up in the 9-11 context. One of which is and do citizens have a right to report a federal crime? to a federal grand jury. And that's a right that's been historically recognized even before we had a constitution, came over from England, and it was adopted in the US Constitution as as it existed, pre-Constitution. And uh, I don't know if you know, George, the the background for this Supreme Court case. Shall I give you a bit on that?
4: Yes, kindly, uh, for the broader audience, yes. And tell us what federal crime it is that you allege?
6: Well, the crime that we allege, and in my view, as a public interest lawyer of 30 years, in my view that we have proven, is a bombing crime. It's a crime that involves use of explosives at the World Trade Center on 9-11, which explains the complete collapse of three World Trade Center buildings on 9-11, which pretty much everyone has seen on television by now, if only in a replay. And if you watch those collapses, They look a lot like what's called a controlled demolition in industry where you use explosives to bring buildings down. Uh, A lot of folks don't know yet. Some of your listeners may not know, George, that the third skyscraper that fell on 9-11 was Building 7. It was not hit by an airplane. The other two towers, everyone knows, uh, was hit by an airplane. Some people dispute that. I don't and my organization does not. But what we dispute is the reason the buildings fell down. And if you look at our petition to the grand jury, which we gave to the U.S. attorney in New York, it goes through eyewitness testimony of first responders, trained professionals, uh, firefighters, police, and so forth. Which And that these folks reported sights and sounds of explosions on 9-11. It goes through the finding from laboratory analysis of the World Trade Center dust, which shows explosives, high-tech explosives, in the World Trade Center dust. A number of other anomalies that have been documented, even documented by government studies that show there had to be extreme temperatures at the Trade Center on 9-11, which, in fact, were measured on 9-11. When I say extreme, George, I mean very high temperatures, much higher than jet fuel can create, much higher than building contents create when they burn. So. But even though we felt like that evidence was dispositive on the issue of use of explosives, when we submitted our petition we were just asking the u.s attorney to deliver it meaning to hand it to the grand jury, so they could make up their own mind it's sort of like you said at the beginning you know we should keep an open mind sometimes conspiracies turn out to be real sometimes not it depends on the evidence and my organization is a follow the evidence follow the law organization we don't have any time to be dealing with you know unsupported allegations uh speculation We're just looking at hard evidence, scientific evidence, eyewitness testimony, the things lawyers normally look at. And so we just asked the U.S. attorney to give the evidence, which is a 50-some page detailed petition, 50-some exhibits with the scientific evidence and the eyewitness testimony, just hand it to the grand jury. Let the grand jury decide what it thinks about this evidence. And you might be surprised to learn what the U.S. attorney did with that, uh, particularly given that there's a federal statute in our country that says that U.S. attorneys have a mandatory, emphasize the word mandatory duty, to deliver citizen reports of federal crimes to a federal grand jury, particularly a special grand jury, which is the case here. So uh, what the U.S. attorney did was they didn't deliver our petition to the grand jury. They may have told the grand jurors that the Lawyers' Committee reported a crime. They might have named the crime, as bombing at the World Trade Center, but they did not give our petition with all the evidence to the grand jurors. So we sued uh, the U.S. attorney in federal court to enforce that mandatory duty. And all we were asking wasn't for anyone to agree with our conclusions. We just wanted the law enforced that says the U.S. attorney must hand over the citizen report of a crime to the grand jury. Uh, Surprisingly, the district court decided that Uh, not only my organization, but another organization, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, a nonprofit as well as mine, and family members who lost family members on 9-11, and first responders, some of whom were our our co-plaintiffs, that none of us had legal standing to ask the court to decide the question. And so the question didn't get decided. Uh, So even though neither court, the district court, or the Court of Appeals disputed the mandatory duty in the statute, they basically said, we don't have a right to enforce it because none of us have legal standing. And, of course, our question was, well, if family members, uh, victims don't have standing, and if first responders don't have standing, who the heck has standing in this country? And, yeah, in our view, you know, nobody would. So um, the Second Circuit, the second highest court in this country, decided our case on appeal, and they, unfortunately, decided to agree with the district court that that we didn't have standing to enforce the duty. And they went beyond that to do some fairly disturbing things. What the Court of Appeals said basically is it's up to the U.S. attorney solely to decide what the grand jury gets to see. Now, for those who have studied the U.S. Constitution, you know that the grand jury is a constitutional entity independent of the other three branches it's its own fixture of the federal government the constitution creates it that way so it's not beholding to the department of justice or the executive branch It's not beholding to congress or even the courts uh, the grand jury has a lot of power and in independence at least as it was created if you look at the second circuit decision if it isn't reversed by the supreme court as we're asking uh, You know, we're going to be in some difficult times here because the independence of the grand jury may have effectively been eliminated by this decision. And what that means is, and I expect you know this, George, uh, that the grand jury intended was intended initially to protect citizens from political prosecutions by a rogue government or rogue government officials. So they just wouldn't go after their political adversaries and put them in jail on some false trumped up charge. Grand juries are supposed to protect against that. You can't get an indictment without a grand jury signing off on it. That's an important protection. But if the grand jury only gets to see the evidence that the U.S. attorney wants the grand jury to see, the grand jury isn't independent at all. It's just going to be a handmaiden to the Department of Justice. Well, look, uh, uh,
4: Mick, you, 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 you've you certainly persuaded me, uh, a very uh, sober, somber, Uh, resume of uh, what would appear on the face of it to be a ludicrous contention that uh, you don't have standing uh, if, as you say, a family member bereaved by 9-11 has no legal standing to uh, advance this petition, who does? Uh, The answer would have to be nobody does. Uh, Only the government does, which, as you say, renders the grand jury process null and void. If the Supreme Court means anything, if the word supreme means anything, you might get some relief there, no?
6: We hope to. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. Uh, The Supreme Court is supposed to be the ultimate defender of the Constitution, and there's a, an even more fundamental problem with the Second Circuit decision on the standing issue in this case, and that is it wasn't just that the Second Circuit decided we didn't have standing to enforce the statutory duty on the U.S. attorney to report the crimes to the grand jury. Uh, disturbingly, the Second Circuit also decided that our, our right to submit a petition to any branch of the federal government under the First Amendment the right to petition for address, didn't give us standing to complain that the Department of Justice interfered with our right to petition. And it did so because it blocked the delivery of our petition to the government entity for which it was intended, the grand jury. And, and that, that's what's called a catch-22, isn't it? Pretty close. And there's no way out the way the Second Circuit drafted it. You know, citizens are never going to get their their evidence in front of a grand jury under the Second Circuit's view, unless the U.S. attorney wants the grand jury to see it, which means it supports whatever political position the U.S. attorney is taking at the moment, uh, which is what we're supposed to be avoiding by grand juries. So in this country for decades, the Supreme Court has been very clear when a constitutional right is violated, the victim of the violation, whether it's First Amendment or Fifth Amendment or any, any right, has the ability to go into federal court and ask the court for a remedy and to order the violation corrected. That might seem like, you know, obvious and necessary law to enforce the constitutional rights, and it has been for for decades in this country until now. And the Second Circuit decided that even though we were exercising a First Amendment right, well, actually I shouldn't say that, even though we asserted we were exercising a First Amendment right, the Second Circuit essentially said there is no right under the First Amendment to petition a grand jury, even though it's a, an entity of the federal government. Yeah.
4: You could be forgiven, Mick, for becoming disheartened on this. Uh, and yet, as I said in my introduction, I'm going to infer that you are, roughly speaking, my age, not that much younger, in which case, if I'm right, You have seen a situation where the official story about Jack Kennedy's murder has fallen apart to such an extent that it isn't even news anymore when someone like Tucker Carlson with great eloquence and power accuses to camera, the American government themselves of having killed their own president. So it's the monolith uh, that you're describing uh, as the U.S. attorney will not be a monolith forever, perhaps.
6: Well, we're not giving up on the fight to enforce the Constitution and change uh, how shall I say, the politics that have created this problem. The um, the problem you articulate, and Tucker is a little late to the game on the JFK assassination, which has been you know, a subject of citizen concerns for decades in this country, a lot of evidence to support that position. Uh, I personally, unfortunately, agree that the evidence points to a conspiracy. Congress actually found there was a conspiracy in that assassination. A lot of folks forget that. my organization is focused on 9 11 issues. So we haven't taken a position on JFK, but, but here's the problem. It's not just, I mean, 9 11, and it's not just the anthrax attacks which followed 9 11, which a lot of folks have forgotten about, which also brought more fuel to the fire for the war machine to go to the endless war on terror. Um, There have been a number of instances of violence used against the the government and government officials in the United States. Assassinations come to mind, but they're not the only instances. The anthrax attacks were another example. Two weeks after 9-11, anthrax, a bioweapon, was sent through the mail, and the targets of those mailings included two U.S. senators, and those two U.S. senators happened to be the ones holding up the passage, the rushed passage of the Patriot Act. And they almost were assassinated. Fortunately, they were not by those anthrax letters. So, and, you know, um, there are some other examples. Um, My organization isn't addressing them yet, so I won't talk about them in the moment, but let me just say there's a pattern here of unremedied, unprosecuted, violent crimes against the government and government officials in the United States. 9-11 is part of that pattern. JFK is part of that pattern. There are folks out there that if they don't get their way, they think, still, that might make right, and they can use violence to get their way, including in the United States. Uh, perhaps particularly in the United
4: States, but that's for another day. My last point, uh, and I'm grateful for your time. Uh, the, the, G, the JFK murder was, for me personally, as a person of Irish Catholic background, who loved JFK was of very great significance, but 9-11 is of far greater significance. The killing of Kennedy did not lead to war throughout the world. Uh, 9-11 did lead to war throughout the world, which continues to this day. It led to the uh, war on terror, which led to the rise of ISIS, the strengthening of Al-Qaeda, the alphabet soup, of Islamist extremism, it led to terrorism exploding all over the world, it led to uh, the reduction in liberty in your own country and in mine. Uh, yes. It could not be exaggerated, the impact of 9-11. And therefore, if it turned out to be that 9-11 is not the story we think it is, it's incalculable what the impact of that would be, isn't it, Mick?
6: Well, it is. You stated it very articulately, George, and I agree with everything you just said. <clears throat> the problem is that there's a lot of evidence out there. Some of it's in our petition, a lot of it, but we're not the only ones putting this evidence out there. A lot of scientists, engineers, architects, other lawyers, other advocates have for years. And that evidence creates at a minimum, a legitimate fact question about what happened on 9-11 that's never been investigated by any government entity. And even if you don't agree with our petition and our position that the evidence scientifically is dispositive, and we think it is, it's one of those Sherlock Holmes things where, you know, when you eliminated the impossible, whatever remains must be the truth. But well, the scientific evidence eliminates everything else. So explosives, incendiaries had to be used. So, The the question is so huge, as you stated correctly, that even if there's only a doubt that we might be right, the grand jury needs to see this evidence and decide for themselves. Congress needs to do its own investigation, which is never fully done. And, you know, the worst case here is pretty severe, the worst possible case. And it deserves an investigation that is equal to the severity of the problem that you have articulated.
4: Mick, Ice Fury, one of our viewers, asks, are there any high-ranking standing or retired military officers, New York firefighters, or NYPD who would join this petition?
6: Uh, I think the answer to that is yes, in regard to high-level military, although to my knowledge, none have done so yet. Uh, We do have some firefighters, uh, New York firefighters, who joined our petition already. Um, One of them was a a fire commissioner. Police officers also. Let me think about that. Possibly. uh, So we have. You were
4: telling me about the fire
6: commissioner. And the fire commissioner, Chris Joya, is is actually one of the co-plaintiffs in the case that's now in front of the Supreme Court. So he was there uh, responding after the attacks at Ground Zero, as were his colleagues. He lost a lot of friends, as many folks did in those attacks. And he has had the courage to speak out on the issue and has joined our litigation. I'm very honored to be, to consider Chris my friend and colleague at the moment. Um, there are a lot of firefighters who are concerned. Uh, a lot of your listeners may not know that the Fire Department of New York took testimony from over 100 firefighters, I forget the exact number, after 9-11 to preserve their testimony. And uh, the testimony was preserved, but it wasn't released. And then the New York Times sued under the Freedom of Information Act and acquired all those first responder testimonies, and they're now available, if you know how to find them, on the New York Times website. And a lot of those folks say, you know, I, I saw what looked like an explosion, I heard sounds that looked like an explosion, Some of them even said, it looks like what you see on television in a controlled demolition. Some of the firefighters said that as their impression in the moment, as they watched the collapse of the buildings. Uh, That's in a normal case that wasn't politicized. That would be pretty significant evidence of a bombing crime.
4: Well, look, uh, Mick, thanks. uh, When uh, you, you get the result, we'll return to it. When do you expect to hear the Supreme Court decision?
6: Well, we're hoping in January. uh, The Supreme Court, of course, follows their own schedule, not mine. And uh, they're meeting January 6th to discuss the case and I'm sure a number of other cases. I expect after they do the discussion, they won't take them long to make the decision. But it's possible the Supreme Court may invite the government to respond to our petition, which has not happened yet. The government declined initially to respond. So if the government decides to respond, that may take an additional few months.
4: January 6th, an auspicious date uh, last Uh, year. And this, thank you very much indeed, Mick Harrison of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Truth. I don't know about you. I actually find that a very fascinating treatise on a subject that might very well become the biggest subject. On the planet. Now, you heard me say at the beginning uh, that my New Year resolution is to get Moat America on the air on Friday nights, probably around, I don't know, midnight uh, UK time, so uh, 7 pm Eastern. Uh, although these are movable uh, coordinates, the most important thing is to provide a dedicated Motes in America we'll do all the back shop uh, that'll be these will be the same phone numbers we'll do everything uh, that is as it were behind the screen but I won't be the presenter the presenters will be from a panel of uh, some of the best Americans that we have had on Motes over the last 200 episodes and you know who they are they'll fix the guests they'll choose the guests and they'll ask the questions but it will still be recognizably moats it'll be moats america if you want to help us get that on the air here's what you have to do you can donate now if you're watching on youtube and if you are please subscribe to my youtube channel and like this show Uh, you can go to the super chat mechanism and make a donation. It's as simple as that. And that fighting fund will help us get Moats America onto the air. If you're watching on Rumble or or, uh, Getter or or Twitter or Facebook, uh, then please go to our website. Uh, That's motes.tv. And our website has a donate button there, which you can use and even make a recurring donation. I'm only asking for a dollar, a euro, a pound. I think I'm worth it. On line one is Joe in New Jersey on Donald Trump. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, brother.
3: All right, same to you, man. Best best wishes to you and your friends and your family and all of your audience you know it, you know your audience has got to be a group of good people a audience of goodwill of goodwill and uh, best wishes to all those man the people who stand uh, and for truth and and want to hear truth and and the voice of the people that's suppressed by all the other media networks thanks george and i'd like to say george uh i think you're an asset to humanity i I don't say that much george but you know, what you do every week and your passion and, I mean, you just don't give up. And uh, I disagree with you a lot on Trump. You know, I, I, could, I could argue hard with you on Trump, but uh, I, I know your your spirit of intent and your will is good, and it's for the benefit of all humanity, not for the benefit of a certain population, not for the benefit of a certain race or a certain people. You know, your uh, your will and your intent is for the benefit of awe, and uh, and I'll say it one more time. I don't say it often, but you are an asset to humanity, George, and I like, thank you. Thanks, thanks, you know. God bless hey, you,
4: uh, Joe, for that. I'm very touched uh, by that. Go ahead.
3: It's truth, man. I mean, it's truth. And uh, we can't forget Julian Assange, you know, and, um, you know, best wishes to Julian today. You know, I don't know what he's, you know, feeling today or what he's witnessing, but I'm sure it's not good. And uh another victim of Donald Trump, you know, another uh another victim. Hey George, uh I want to uh comment on nine one one. I have some very strong uh opinions. I believe that this was a conspiracy of Israel, Saudi Arabia, and our CIA. Israel benefited the most from nine one one. There's there's no doubt. And that was what I consider the coup government of the United States of America. The government that no longer represented the will of the American people, no longer represented the voice or the needs or the wants or the future of the American people. Since then, they became loyalists to Zionism and Zionist ideology, and they they wiped their feet on the backs of the American people. They uh, have zero respect for those who they were elected to represent and uh that's gone and uh, and uh i you know this this whole 911 uh, 9 thing if we go back to operation northwoods of the cia which all you kennedy folks seem to have missed but the operation northwoods was put together by the uh the joint chiefs of staff and and it was actually terrorist attacks that they wanted to commit in the united states of america from cuba i mean the whole write-up is on wikipedia I suggest that rather than hearing it from me, you folks learn for yourselves and read it. But that was the preamble to 9-1-1. And when John F. Kennedy heard about the Operation Northwoods, where they were going to blame Russians and blame Cubans for terrorist attacks on New York City, terrorist attacks in Miami, uh, John F. Kennedy said, no way. There is no way. And he was the one that shot it down. And let's not forget... That the great one of the greatest gifts to Israel also was the death of John, John F. Kennedy, because Johnson was a, was a stout Zionist, and and everything Israel ever wanted, they got under the Johnson administration. So we can't forget them, and um, so so uh, the the, uh, the the Operation North was, in my opinion, was the layout and the plan for for the uh, you know for, for the, the new coup government. And From, uh, uh,
4: yep. Well, See look, I'll, I'll tell you what, Joe, uh, that was, uh, Joe, Joe, I, just because of the hour, I have to stop you, but it was a most powerful tour de horizon. I disagree with you on some of the points that you made, but you made them so cogently and with such passion. I didn't interrupt you. And now it is the hour. And therefore, I need to take a quick break after which it's my good friend, Farron Fronchek, from the front line in the good old U.S. of A. My good friend, Farron Fronchek, is a journalist and radio You are listening
3: and television to the Mother of, of All Talk X Shows podcast, podcast. With George Galloway. The journalist and
4: broadcaster is sincerely to undersell her attributes. She's one of our most popular American guests, and undoubtedly, if we can afford her, will be one of the presenters of Moats America once we get it up and running. And I'm glad to say, although she was meant to be with us last week, that she's here this week in all her glory. Farhan, Happy New Year to you. Thanks uh, very much. You're looking fantastic, I must say. Uh, How, just tour the horizon as we open the new year in the United States. How does the political, Lie of the land, look to you. So
5: 2023, uh, starting out with a bang on Tuesday, you have the new Congress that's going to be swearing in. Uh, and they, on Tuesday, are also going to be voting on who the House Speaker will be. For those that don't know, across the pond here, the Republicans took back the House with a 222-seat majority. Kevin McCarthy, right now the House Minority Leader at the moment, um, he has, you need about... 218 votes to secure that house speakership position there are five republicans namely from the freedom caucus saying nope we're not voting for you Uh, so he has literally less than 48 hours to try to sway those votes back to his favor because if he doesn't get the majority then it goes to the democrats and essentially the democrats could you know bring in a new speaker um, and take take the helm Um, so As far as the political landscape, pretty rocky ground, George. Starting 2023 (laughs) off really well. (laughs) So tell me, explain
4: uh, to non-Americans, what is the Freedom Caucus? What's their problem with McCarthy? And who would they prefer in his
5: place? So you know it's interesting, um, but members of the Freedom Caucus—big uh, n- notable names you would know—would be like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Rep. Uh, Matt Gates down in Florida. You have Jim Jordan, um, Senator Lindsey Graham used to somewhat be a part of it when Trump was in town. Um, he's not really anymore. He's actually back with the uh, the moderate Republicans that always side with war, with the Democrats that do as well. You know, the basically not a party, just the elite party again. Um, so the swamp is back alive and well, obviously. But the Freedom Caucus, they are very much, um, you know, came on the rise of Donald Trump uh, and were very much about, you know, getting things done, being very pro-conservative on a lot of different issues. Um, you know balancing the budget not a lot of spending uh... and as far as who they want um, they have floated jim jordan who is a rep- uh, republican from ohio um, he's on the house judiciary committee if you've ever had the time to watch a congressional house judiciary hearing jim jordan was the guy you know especially during the hunter biden laptop stories and stuff where he would be just drilling Uh, people that were testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. Um, And he, you know, another notable one was Trey Gowdy, who recently had left. Um, But it was those two on those committees that would really hammer down uh, those that were testifying. So they have floated Jim Jordan. They've also uh, floated the House Minority Whip, Steve Scalise, which, if you don't know, there was the congressional baseball game a few years back, and he actually was one of the congressmen that was shot and survived. Um, So they've talked about him. The problem with Kevin McCarthy that they have, George, is that they think that Kevin McCarthy, um, A, since it's the Freedom Caucus and they kind of were pro-Trump, they don't like the fact that it seemed like he sold out Trump or that he didn't defend him enough. And they also don't like the fact that they just don't think he's a strong enough candidate. They don't think that he's going to be able to Tell the Democrats, no, there's a new sheriff in town. This is how it's going to be. Kevin McCarthy kind of taking that role of, well, we need to compromise in order to get things done. Um, when you have the when I say far right, I don't mean like all right. I'm saying like the far fringes of the right, you know, because because the Democrats and Republicans right now, they're they're fractured. You have the far left Democrats, the far right Republicans Those two outside groups do not like compromise anymore, whereas the folks in the middle or that elite ruling class, they're all about compromise and literally getting nothing done. So this Freedom Caucus wants stuff done immediately. They already have a number of investigations that they're pulling forward the day of on uh, June. I'm sorry, not June, um, January 3rd. One of it being the Hunter Biden laptop investigation. Where did the COVID virus come from? Um, You know, uh, Biden's dealings with Ukraine. They have about six different investigations that they're opening up day one, January 3rd. So this Freedom Caucus wants to get stuff done. I can't wait.
4: I can't wait wait for those investigations. Yeah. Presumably a deal will be done. Uh, They'll be talking Turkey and carving out pork out of the barrel and so on as we speak Uh, because it's inconceivable that a pro-Trump rump is going to allow the Democrats to take back uh, the speakership of the House. So either uh, McCarthy has to step down or these five will be bought off,
5: don't you think? Well, and that's one of the things that Kevin McCarthy is actually offering is before, in order to have a Speaker of the House step down, it had to be a member of the leadership that would ultimately bring it to the floor for a vote. Kevin McCarthy, to get those five votes, has been saying, hey, I'll switch the rules because that rule was put in place by Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Democrat. Kevin McCarthy's saying, hey, you know what? If you vote for me, I'll make it so that it doesn't have to be a leadership position Anybody can bring it to a vote to, to have the speaker removed. So that's kind of one of the concessions that he's been trying to make. Whether those five Freedom Caucus members are gonna bite, TBD, we'll find out Tuesday. Absolutely, uh, now
4: you mentioned uh, Trump. Um, we're only viewing him from afar and only intermittently because he's Lucky actually you. been surprisingly <laughs> low profile uh, over here. Uh, So here's my guess, it's probably wildly wrong uh, that uh, Trump's light has dimmed a little.
5: Is that yours? You know, it's interesting. Like I was mentioning before, the Republican Party, as well as the Democratic Party, um, they've fractured uh, to either pro-Biden or he's too old, get him out when it comes to the Democrats and bring in some fresh blood. Um, which is why Nancy Pelosi stepped down um, as House Speaker. Um, You also have, on the Republican side, those that are still very much pro-Trump and call everything that's been going on with him, for example, the latest January 6th House Committee hearings and their final report that was released last week, calling it just this, since he started, this witch hunt. And then you also have the Republicans that are saying, you know what, he's just too controversial. The country is starting to kind of... Find some level of normality. Let's bring in somebody new. A lot of people talking, like Iran DeSantis, talking about a Tim Scott of South Carolina. Um, you know, a number of different people, including uh, one of them who ran for governor, Darren Bailey of for Illinois. Um, there's talks of him floating his name out there to see you know what what he could do now that he has moved since to Chicago to study cor- Chicago corruption, my hometown. It's very corrupt, makes DC look like it's just child's play. Um, but it's one of those things where you have a lot of other people that are talking about putting their hats in the ring, but I don't think we're gonna start seeing a lot of people jumping in the race until this summer and they're just gonna be poll watching every single day until we hit you know May or June. Of course there's
4: always the possibility that trump could run as a third party candidate i saw that referred to uh the other day but he would only do that if he felt that it was going to be too much of a struggle to get the republican nomination uh, wouldn't he um i suppose the hunter biden investigation is going to do for uh joe biden and myself think it's inconceivable that Biden will run again in 2024. I just don't think his bowels will stand up for it.
5: No. <laughs> no, and you know George, it's so funny. I've been covering extensively all of the different Twitter file drops that we've had from the amazing journalist Matt Taibbi and um, Barry Weiss. And it's so interesting because, you know, being here in Washington, DC, you know, I have the closet conservatives as I call them here. You don't come out and say you're a Trump supporter or you're a conservative in this town. And then you have the Democrats, you know, that are mainly throughout the city. And so many people saying this Twitter files is a nothing burger, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm sitting here like, wait a minute, this was a pretty big platform that silenced a lot of people. Yes, okay, it's a private company, but it's also a town hall. Um, of sorts, and, and the game has changed when it comes to social media, and it's it you have the Hunter Biden laptop story. Democrats are like, that's that's nothing, it's nothing crazy big. That's not going to you know sway my vote, or that's not going to sway voters. And it's like, you know what? We have the most amount of independent voters we've ever had in the United States. There's a reason they're not telling you how they feel, and that's why you know all oh, the polls are always wrong because people don't really wanna come out and talk to you and tell you how they really feel. But from what I'm seeing with many, many people, when I'm like, hey, it's safe to talk to me, how do you really feel? They're like, I just, I'm sick of the corruption. I'm sick of it. So a lot of the the powerful elite need to remove head from sphincter and realize the American people are getting real sick of it. Now, tell me
4: this. Uh, We're both uh, active uh, Twitter users. And full mm-hmm. disclosure, I have a legal case uh, against them, which uh, in February will will reach its next stage. I, far from being a nothing burger, it seems to me that these Twitter files expose corruption on the grandest of scales. Uh, it turns out that Elon Musk bought the company from the FBI and the CIA. It was... Yep nothing
5: more than an organ of the U.S. security state. And that's one of the things it was it was a quote that I heard because I can't even take credit for it. I can't remember who said it. It might have been Matt Taibbi where he said Elon Musk didn't purchase a social media company. He purchased a crime scene. Uh, And when you look at how the FBI, I mean, you were talking before with the guest about the 9-11 truthers and different conspiracies like JFK and, you know, you, we all know, like we saw with Gulf of Tonkin, a number of different conspiracies that have been proven that we're not all crazy. Here you see, everyone's been saying the FBI's in with with uh, um, social media, the FBI's in there, the FBI's in there. Mark Zuckerberg flippantly says on the Joe Rogan podcast, oh yeah, they came by and we just, we suppressed the story. Like it's just no big deal. And then with these Twitter drops too, you do see that these people did a revolving door. They went to the FBI and then they worked and then they went to social media and then went back to the FBI and then went back to social media. It's almost eerily similar as the military industrial complex where they go work for the private you know, um, defense contractors, then go back to the Pentagon, then go to the defense contractors. It's this gross revolving door that these folks do it. And here at the highest levels where these folks are supposed to be about justice, about truth, you know, we saw none of it. And it was completely politicized, which the conspiracy of the FBI is politicized. Ron Paul saying for decades now abolish the FBI, and he was called crazy. I think he deserves an apology at this point.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, they called it a public square, but it was actually a prison exercise yard. It was watched over by the watchtowers and the men with guns up on those towers and if you uh, were dangerously close uh, to uh, breaking out of the prevailing orthodoxy you would be metaphorically shot down and the numbers of uh, ex-spooks of various kinds that were literally employed by these companies we only know thanks to Musk and Taibi, and Vice, we only know what we know about Twitter. We know next to nothing about Facebook and, and uh, YouTube and all the other social media platforms, but it turns out it is the biggest job creation agency in history for former CIA, FBI, security officials of various kinds. They go through that revolving door and sit in an office policing what the rest of us can say or read other people say.
5: And you know what the scariest part of it all, George, to me was in in, in talking about these Twitter files, was that you only had like maybe two or three people in in these email exchanges that Matt Taibi lays out, um, or like Michael Spellberger too is another reporter on it as well one or two people being like do you think we're overstepping our bounds like do you think this is not okay you even had progressive leader Rokana emailing vijaya gadi who was the head of legal being like you suppress the hunter biden story which he would be the one that would want it to be suppressed on party lines but he's like you are taking this way too far and you're suppressing an, the oldest news organization here in the United States, one of the oldest founded by Alexander Hamilton, a founding father. and you're suppressing this story and it's just no, that's I'm sorry, we don't we don't see the First Amendment the same way. And here it's like these people just blindly followed what the FBI wanted, what the CIA wanted. Um, and rarely did you see any little pushback and you see like, how was it that that a company like this not only gets this big, but also gets this brainwashed on the inside just by these, you know, 80 FBI employees that were working there. Um, It's just, it makes you think like, are we doomed with humanity that there was only a few like people saying, or, or is this not okay? And that to me was the scariest part of it all. And props to those who, have come forward and you know one of them even saying i was the one that pushed back i was the one that questioned um because it's probably not a safe position to be in right now i mean we see we've heard what happened with jfk very scary position to be any kind of exactly
4: Mm -hmm. your car might just suddenly start accelerating and the brakes uh, don't work faran fronchak as always thanks very much for joining us glad you've got your voice back And we'll see you (laughs) again soon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Now, uh, Farron, who's Farron Balanced on Twitter, has just donated $20 on the Super Chat. Thank you very much, uh, my dear. Let me take a quick break and then I'll take your calls.
5: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too.
7: There is no trick other than hard work, creativity, care and recognising that duty is more important
8: than love.
3: The booming voice of Robert Maxwell, an arrogant man who used his publishing empire to gain him power and influence. But in this shocking account, never told before in this way, George Galloway
4: recalls his first encounter with Maxwell. It looked like a a grizzly bear uh, advancing towards me and punches me with these giant fists, like sides of ham, right in the solar plexus, so hard that I literally bent double.
3: Then, after George exposed Maxwell as a crook in
4: Parliament, it was war. Every one of his papers, the Daily Mirror, then following the Sunday Mirror, the Sunday People, The Daily Record, then a few days later, the Sunday Mail in Scotland. Even the European, which he then owned. All over Galloway.
3: Scottish Daily News journalist Ron Mackay was there.
8: Every night, presumably, when he had a drink in him, he would boom over the tannoy about the the cretins, the fools. The, The majority of the workforce believed that he would take it over and their jobs would be secure. But of course he didn't, he just disappeared.
3: And then...
6: The millionaire newspaper publisher, Robert Maxwell, is dead.
3: What really happened? Did Robert Maxwell jump or was he pushed?
4: It could be that he went out to, as he did, mature over the side of the boat. I'm with Ghislaine Maxwell in that I lean towards the murder.
6: This is Maxwell the
4: Monster. You said what is my secret. I will let you and your viewers know what it is. I'm not attached to property. Consequently, losing or gaining it means nothing to me. If you knew Maxwell like I knew Maxwell, you'd know just how hollow and vainglorious that last statement he made really was. You can get the Maxwell tapes uh, from my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Some YouTube comments. Christopher Dobby on the 9-11 story says, the towers fell down because they were compromised by being hit by a jet plane. The first to fall was the second building as it was hit further down the structure. Yeah, of course, I mean, I'm I'm not uh, disputing uh, that, Mr Dobby. I'm wondering why building seven fell, though. Uh, Baron Saturday says, Tam Pax Romana. And Viking Ericsson says, I am Norwegian and very ashamed and angry with Stoltenberg. Indeed so. And Uzi, one millimeter, says those of us who warned the left about Starmer before and even in the months after the leadership election were dismissed as tinfoil hat cranks. No longer, I can say, Damola Adeyeye says, not that I'm a royalist, but it's a tall order to predict the demise of the royal family within 12 months. Even King Charles can't manage that. I'm not sure I predicted that, Damola, although I'd welcome it. And Coffee says Nostradamus claimed Charles's reign would be short-lived as he'll abdicate in favor of a male who didn't expect to be king. My money's on Edward, not, as most claim, his half-wit son, H. Cruel, cruel. Tom is in Glasgow on the Ukraine. Welcome, Tom. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Brother George. How are you doing, How are you? Well, alaikum Salaam. Nice to hear from you. What would you like to say?
0: Long time no speak, yeah. Uh, well, just listen to your stuff on uh, the 9-11. I remember talking, I listened to Dennis Goldberg on the 12th of September, the day after it, and he said, undoubtedly, this was a state-sponsored terrorist attack because and if you look at america they've got a system the system for flying planes is called intercept friend or foe where planes are you know they they they, 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 can be, they they've been known to to go off course and they've got a system to track them down they've got numerous air uh, air force bases all over the eastern seaboard, where fighter jets can do six, seven times the speed of sound and could have easily intercepted any of these jets, but didn't do it. And indeed, Donald Rumsfeld was running so-called training courses. And then if you look, that there was documented evidence that weeks before it, that there was a company in doing maintenance work, there, how first responders, who many of them have died, sadly, ...after that, stated that they had pop, 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 pop. Three buildings came down, two planes hit the buildings. If you look at the Pentagon, day and, t- and the 10th of September... ...Donald Rumfeld said $2 has disappeared from this building. If you look at the damage that happened in Lockerbie, over 10-mile radius... ...if you see the damage at the Pentagon, where did the wings go to? If you see the, 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 the stupid evidence they gave... Of a, it was a missile that came in because it couldn't possibly be in a jet there's so many questions that have to be asked i mean on your old previous uh, thing you were on george uh, i was on from way back then over 20 years and if they can kill their own president in broad daylight and get away with it these people have the chutzpah of the devil and i've been saying for over 20 years and george I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you've changed your tune because I remember back in the day saying about it, I changed my tune about the independence. I'm now against the independence. It's good to hear that you're on the side. I mean, if you look at, the, and, and, I'll play, um, and fair play to you, because the, the, the lies and the deceit that is given out about Ukraine is just despicable. How the, 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 the Nazi brigade in there, once again funded by America, you can look at george w Bush 's grandfather, Herbert Bush, tuned back road uh, the, the the Nazis to thirty billion away back in the day. America had been funding and Britain as well uh, to try and take out the, the, the Russian state, the Soviet Union for over a hundred years, and the lies are being told constantly how anyone can believe that the, the lies that come out from Britain and America, all power to your elbow are you putting people at like Scott Ritter on. And me, I say, I've got an American grandfather. If you ever want anyone to stand in for you for your American show, I'd put my hand up, brother. I love you to bits. It's been a long time since I spoke to you. I've missed speaking to you. And God bless what you've done in this show. And keep it up, brother. You. God bless the Celtic.
4: God bless you. How, I, I, I wasn't aware of who you were when I invited you to speak but I'm jolly glad that we've remade our acquaintance. Tom in Glasgow was a regular caller Uh, throughout the near 20 years now that this mother-of-all talk shows has been running. Very, very nice to hear from you again. Let's stay in Scotland, but in the posher part, to Edinburgh, where Timothy wants to talk about Ukraine. Timothy, welcome. Happy New
9: Year. (laughs) happy new year happy new year George I've actually moved from Edinburgh recently came back down to Northampton so unfortunately Tim Tom Glasgow Edinburgh can't have that um can't have that um inversion okay. um, but no, right. so um what I was gonna say was like just so that people have kind of a, a concept of how the Russians view the um just normal ordinary russians view the conflict it's that obviously they're they're pro um, russian they're pro um special military operation but i was talking to my granny yesterday and it's just obviously it's it's a strain on the family but um the thing is what, what People understand okay, the case, like about the length of it. It's like people understand that it that it kind of has to drag on because of um, all of the things that are happening outside of it. So geopolitically, like decoupling and the de dollar, like from the US and the de dollarization and everything. That these things take time because these are all structures that have to be reformed, and that's that's a bureaucratic process and so on. Yeah. However, fundamentally, the the hurt is that it's like, but we're dying. Uh, like the, we we're getting killed and what she was saying was that yesterday there were 83 or so um soldiers being returned from uh ukrainian hands and then she's like oh yeah on tv they're saying oh yeah woohoo, they're, they're back and there's this whole fanfare and so on but then they're, they're crying they're, they're, they're without legs they're tortured by um the more barbarous elements of um, the ukrainian armed forces and Again I won't compromise my, two, my myself too much on um but again it's like knowing people who are fighting it's just it's obviously scary and then it's the frustration is that it, it, it it's like why again why is it that it's us that are having to suffer and obviously it's like there's economic fallout here but it's like but the lives are being lost well whose are they where it's like obviously it's the ukrainians but that's one thing but it's like again it's like we're having to be sacrificed again and then obviously here people absolutely not understand like when i was in edinburgh i had a russian flag outside my window it was luckily not subjected to much abuse, I only had to wash it a couple of times from the eggs it. But um, it, it, it's just, I don't know, it's um, yeah, about the, the, the lies being peddled by the state um, in terms of the Ukraine. And it's just,
4: well, I, I uh, think it it's, need- a, it's a diminishing, uh, yeah, thanks, Timothy. It's a diminishing return, though. Uh, if you measure in January 23, Uh, the support for the Ukrainian narrative uh, compared to any time from February 22, uh, it's vanishingly uh, small now. Um, The state still does it, so little Sadiq Khan, uh, who's currently in in Mecca, uh, I understand, nonetheless ensured that there were Ukrainian flags uh, on, the, uh, on the big wheel at the London New Year celebrations. But there's no Ukrainian flags in Mecca or in Saudi Arabia or anywhere in the Arab world or anywhere in Africa or anywhere in Asia or anywhere in mainland Europe other than the official flags of government and local government. Sometimes the police force. Uh, But the population long ago fell out of love with the Ukrainian cause, which is not to say that people are not weeping inside for the suffering of the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people have suffered most of all in this grim, grisly picture. The Russians also have suffered. And thirdly, the European public has suffered economically on a grand scale and it isn't even really started yet. You ain't seen nothing yet to what you'll see in 23 on the economic front. The one group of people who have not suffered at all are the oligarchs that run the United States of America they have made a fortune out of everybody else's misery timothy thanks for the opportunity to make that point. point thousands of you have voted uh most of you seem to think the war will be over in 23 thanks again for all your super chats summer of 1970 gives 10 us dollars Says thanks for the 9 11 segment, George. Thank you. A Slave of Allah gives £1.79. Bismillah. And D.R. Deeb gives £1.79. GG, the best. Thank you. Lawrence Lee gives 20 Canadian dollars. Ronwell Nagales gives 2 US dollars and wishes us all a happy new year. And the Vinyl Dreamscape gives $199. We need your voice, George. Farzana Rasby gives 199 dollars. Cyril O'Reilly gives 20 U.S. dollars. We may be related, Cyril. O'Reilly is my late grandfather's name. Happy New Year says Cyril. Uh, Peter Teichmuller gives 20 Canadian dollars. says "Happy New Year from Canada. I've been spreading the word to my friends about your show. All the best to you and yours in this. New Year. And Linda Petit gives 10 pounds sterling. Thank you, Linda. Michael Jenka gives 10 US dollars 2022 2023 in the bush. Holla Eboffin gives 2 pounds. God bless George. Happy New Year. Thank you. And Gerard White, wow, gives 50 pounds sterling. Thank you, Gerard. I uh, greatly appreciate that. And Justin Daniels gives five euros. Uh, Just before 9-11, says Justin, some Israeli businessmen put money on those airline stock dropping and made billions. Watch Loose Change and the Dancing Israelis. The trouble with these things, Justin, is that they turn out not to be true. The story that no Jews went to work in the Twin Towers on 9-11 was a monstrous anti-semitic lie. There were huge numbers of Jews killed in the Twin Towers on 9-11. It is important that we stick to the facts. When the facts change, so must our opinions. And we'll never know if the facts have changed if we refuse to allow a proper debate and study of All those things that purport to be facts. And that's why I'm backing the lawyer's petition uh, on January 6th. On line one, we're still in Scotland. It's Robert in Glasgow on the Kennedys. Go ahead, Robert.
8: Yes, hello, George. Yes, I was just telling that that I'm not against conspiracies. I believe 9-11 was a conspiracy. For instance, I believe that the, the, the planes were flown to ground level. They were controlled and flown to ground level. But the Kennedy assassination... Now, I'm slightly older than you, George. I, I turned 11 in October 1963, a month before the Kennedy shot. Now, where I was... I can remember to this day the teacher telling the classroom... Do you know President Kennedy? And I nodded because I'd heard of President Kennedy. But I didn't know anything about him. Now, I was in a place, I was in a place with two other schools, pupils with two other schools, uh, my age group, in a place called Galloway House, down in Galloway. Uh, now, as I was growing up, uh, I was the same as everybody else. I used to think it was a, a conspiracy, especially after I saw the Saburger poem. film. Uh, I think it was made public five or ten years after Kennedy got assassinated. And I saw the film... Yeah, poem. ten years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw the film uh, that was made in the 1990s. But what changed my mind was I saw a documentary that was made... I think it was made in 2003, 2004. Uh, 40 years after, uh, 40 years after Kennedy got assassinated. Now, I think I think it said that the American government made this documentary. or they financed this documentary because they were that concerned about all the conspiracy theories going about? Now, in this documentary was the youngest member of the Warren Commission. There was a woman who worked in Jack Ruby's club. There was a blister expert, a forensic expert, and an expert in organised crime. There was also Lee Harvey Oswald's brother, amongst others. Now, it started off... This documentary started off... This man had made a a computerised, three-dimensional... One of these three-dimensional cartoon things that they made in the computer—I I can't quite uh, remember what the name of it is—but it shows all around the area, all around the plaza area, and it shows round the car, above the car. It shows you where the, where Kennedy was sitting in relation to Connolly. He was his seat was placed slightly to the left of him. I think that was so that when Connolly, when Cornley turned round, he could see the president better. ...rather than sitting right behind him. Now it shows you... ...the first bullet missed... ...the second bullet... ...hit Kennedy's upper back... ...went through his neck... ...went through the back of Cornley... came out just below his nipple... ...and hit his hand. The third and fatal bullet... ...hit Kennedy in the back of the head... ...and blew out the front of his head. It gave the angles of the, the, the shots... They went back, followed a straight line, and the two shots went straight back to the, that compository window where Lee Hard was we, we said to have shot him. That's where the bullets came from. Then he showed the Sebrugger file. I
4: don't agree with that, uh, Robert. Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh, but finish your point. But the right. points you're making now about the ballistics are absolutely rejected by me and by many others. But go on.
8: Okay then he showed this a Brugger film now the first bullet missed and, you, and, you, and he says you see you see Connolly he turns to his right because he thought he'd heard something the second bullet yeah. that went, the, went through the two men you see you see Kennedy slouching slightly to his left and he's put his hand up and at the same time Connolly's lapel on his jacket is disturbed and there's grimace in his face. And what he said was, both men reacted at the same time, and what he said was, the single bullet theory isn't a theory, it's a fact. Now, Mm. he he also gave the time between each shot, and he said that, he said that that was enough time to make each shot. And,
4: He must have been some marksman, this Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, there's no evidence at all that he was any kind of marksman uh, in the slightest. I've got to press on, Robert, not because it's not interesting what you're saying. It is, but because there's a legend on the line. It's Norma in Bristol. Happy New Year, dear Norma.
2: Hello, George. Um, It's not too happy at the moment. I've got family illness. Um, on my relative side. It's very serious. But um, it's no good me dwelling on it. I just wanted to tell you about... um, You know, um, Alice Mann died on Christmas Day. Can you hear me? God
4: rest her soul. She was a good friend of mine. Yeah. Yes, she was a good friend of mine.
2: I I knew she was, George, and I can remember at the um, Iraq war debate, she was the only woman MP in Parliament that actually spoke against it and uh, I, I yeah. had great admiration for her. She was in her 80s and she was a very special person, you know? Um,
4: she was 85. Uh, she was a former nurse. Uh, she was an activist in the nurses' union as was then, nup the National Union of Public Employees. She came into Parliament as a working class champion, as the salt of the earth, and she proved to be one of the most assiduous parliamentarians that I sat with over the nearly three decades I sat in the house. She was a gem, an absolute jewel of a woman. Uh, She, of course, as you say, opposed the Iraq war, the Afghan war, Uh, but uh, perhaps more with more difficulty she was one of a hardy band of us that opposed the Yugoslav war in 1999 and she did it with such courage and conviction when there were only a few of us uh, who withstood the propaganda at least by the time we got to Iraq in 2003 there were a lot of us uh, Norma but in the Yugoslav war There was only Mr. Ben, our leader, uh, me, Alice uh, and uh, Jeremy Corbyn and a few others that opposed that war. Even Ken Livingston supported the Yugoslav war. Michael Foote supported it. Mark Seddon supported it. Tribune supported it. We were a hardy bunch and Alice was one of the hardiest of us. Over to you, Norma.
2: No, the funny thing is, Joe. I, I totally agree. I was quite upset when I read about that, although she's lived a long life. And the funny thing is, um, if you ever saw me, I actually, she looked a bit like me. Every time I see her face, I think, gosh, she did not have to look like me.
4: <laughs> well, let's hope we all get together again on the other side, Norma, uh, because if there's a heaven, Alice Mann will definitely be in it. And let's hope you and I get past the pearly gates. Thanks uh, very much for the call. Sorry to hear about the illness in your family. Uh, May God strengthen uh, all of you. Gerard in London says, 9-11, Building 7, all records of Enron destroyed. Well, Gerard, that's the first time I've heard of that. I'm not rejecting it out of hand because I don't know, but I've never heard that now we're inundated with calls about 9 11 we'll try to get as many as possible on the air before nine o'clock meanwhile the super chats are flooding in red cloud gives four pounds 99 thank you golden silence us dollars five gg never mind that russia is dismantling the ukrainian infrastructure ukraine turned off the lights so they can enjoy the stars at night and toy chung gives Hong Kong dollars 158. That sounds like a lot. I hope it is. Thank you. Femi Okeni gives five pounds. Happy New Year to all the moats family. Thank you, Femi. GDNPB gives 10 US dollars, hoping all of the moats people have a great 2023. Let's go to Melvin in New York, where it all happened on 9-11. Melvin. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, brother.
1: Yes, Happy New Year. So I'm going to start this off by telling you what firefighters used to be taught. Okay, before nine eleven, we were taught yeah. that fire burns up. That's why we were used to put triages, the, the, the you know medical areas in large buildings, in the buildings. Okay. So in nine eleven. When everything came down, you had a lot of people that got hurt for that reason. Another, excuse the phrase, cluster, I'm, I'm going to leave out the swear part, but people can guess, was that we had way too many chiefs and not enough Indians, if you understand the phrase. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So you had that going on through the whole thing, nonstop. And the last thing I'm going to mention is to remember that every firefighter is taught from day one that anything that goes wrong is because we made a mistake, regardless of the situation. When someone gets hurt or someone dies, we are taught it is our fault because we didn't follow the proper procedure or we had the lack of knowledge. In this case, it was mostly a lack of knowledge. That was just something I wanted to integrate on this. That's Powerfully good, Melvin.
8: Say.
4: Thank you uh, for an emotional call uh, remembering 9/11. Thanks, Melvin. Bill is in Canada. Go ahead, Bill.
7: Hello, George. Happy New Year too, my friend.
4: Happy New Year. Welcome, and, um, and my salute to all the good Canadians.
7: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Anyways, sending I, my New uh, Year you ben-
4: wishes to all the good Canadians. Go on.
7: Oh, cheers, George. Cheers. Appreciate it, and and likewise to yourselves. Uh, I, I just want to touch on uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's Ny- book uh, from 1995 or 1996, where he uh, I, I use air quotes when I say he predicted that uh, the Muslim world would use airplanes to crash into the World Trade Center. And unless you've actually got some input into this operation, there's no way he could have predicted that enough to write it in a book. I, I, I really, really believe Israel played a part, not the
4: What's the name part, of that book, Bill? Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a big reader of the writings of uh, Netanyahu. I didn't know that he not either it in 1995, Can you can you get can you give us the name of it?
7: I, I don't know it myself. I I actually saw it in an interview All with right, Benjamin we'll Netanyahu yeah. where he boasted about it. Oh yeah. And uh, wow. yeah, it wow. just it wow. just so it's, you know the whole project for a new American century. No,
4: right enough. Yeah.
7: Right you know they're they're all so connected these these people I mean what we're seeing in the world today is is not the comings of World War three it's the ending of World War two because we see Russia up against the same Anglo-Saxon Empire that's been attacking it for hundreds of years right since the times of Babylon that uh, that it's it's finally so many so many Nazis got away from uh, World War II in, in Operation Paperclip. I'm sure you're familiar with Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of World War II, we had Operation Unthinkable, where where the, the, the Americans and the British turned loose uh, from from. Uh, Italian prisoner of war camps, they turned 100,000 Nazis loose back into Russia just, just to keep Russia fighting. And uh, you know, people forget that Russia lost 25 or t- 27 million souls uh, battling these Nazis. And now we only have four votes in the UN to, to keep this Nazism going. And they're all the same G7 countries that are, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum puppets, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Israel plays played an integral role in, in 9-11 with, with the uh, remote airline technology that... Uh, uh, I forget his name uh, I don't uh, yeah.
4: I mean I've got no evidence uh, I've got no evidence of that bill and I highly doubt it uh, and as for Israel being a beneficiary of the wave of radicalization that was unleashed by the western response to 9-11 I very much doubt that as well The truth is that extremism and fanaticism and hatred has swept the Muslim world and swept many Muslims in the Western world in a way which is deeply inimical to the interests of harmony and the interests of of, uh, intercommunal relations and the interests of Israel. Israel is not safer today as a result of 9-11. So if they had been involved in it, it was a severe miscalculation on their part. People make miscalculations, so one cannot rule this out. I myself am not convinced uh, that the 9-11 atrocity was not carried out by the people who later claimed that they carried it out, namely uh, elements loyal to Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. Uh, I'm not convinced that uh, it is not the case that that is what happened. What I am convinced of is that there's a lot of things uh, that we still don't know and that number of things is looming larger in my mind now that I know the sheer track record of the power in western countries of falsification of conspiracy uh, of industrialized lying in other words the more lies that are exposed Uh, coming from their mouths, the more one necessarily must question uh, previous statements and narratives that they issued. I could go back a very, very long time in history uh, to uh, lay out the sheer scale of the lying and conspiring uh, that the power in the Anglo-Saxon world has deployed in so many theatres. And the more I do that, the more I question 9-11, not because I don't believe that uh, the people who seized the planes, and we know that they seized the planes, had no role in the events. But the more I wonder as to who else had a role in those events. I watched the looming tower on netflix one of the most powerful uh television series i've ever watched i can't believe that these sons were allowed to learn how to fly and to pay little attention to how to land a plane only how to take off with one or how to take control of one i find it impossible to believe that one arm of the United States security apparatus knew all about these Al-Qaeda elements and their relationships with the Saudi embassy, uh, but didn't tell the other parts of the American administration. I cannot believe that, for to believe that would be to believe that America is run by children. Who cannot see the danger of well known Al Qaeda elements learning to fly in the United States of America? I can't believe that the anthrax attacks that our guest talked about earlier were not homegrown terrorist efforts. I can't believe that. I'm absolutely persuaded that the people who were sent the anthrax envelopes were sent them by people acting for the American security state themselves, because by then, at least, 9-11 had been seized as a casus belli for a war throughout the world, a very, very ill-conceived one, which had the opposite effect of that which it's claimed it was Intended. I can't believe that an American government that murdered its own president in broad daylight was not capable of blowing up Building 7. How could I? I'm not saying they did. I don't know if they did or if they didn't. But don't ask me to imagine that it's inconceivable that they did, given that I now know the FBI and the CIA conspired together to murder Malcolm X in the Audubon Ballroom in New York. If I know that, why would I consider it inconceivable that they did 9-11 or at least played some role in it? Why would I imagine that so much of the 9-11 report has been suppressed? Why would I imagine that the petition should not even go before a grand jury to decide whether it has any merit or not. Why would I believe an American government that used 9-11 to seize unto itself plenty potentially powers, tyrannical powers over its own people, and grant them to the security state, a security state that is now Deciding whether these words ever reach you or not, at least on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other platforms on which I'm now talking to you. Given that I know all of these things, why would I clutch my pearls like a maiden ant at the very suggestion that the US government may have been involved in 9-11. I would be a fool to deny the possibility that there is more to 9-11 than we knew or even now know. And whatever else I am, ladies and gentlemen, I ain't a fool. I'll be back, God willing, on Wednesday at 9 p.m. UK time for the midweek mother of all talk shows. I hope you'll join me there, and I hope you'll spread the word about this lacune, this oasis of free speech and free thought in the great desert that surrounds us
1: in the mainstream media. Happy New Year.